Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about the fact that you don't exist, at least not a fixed, solid you. Um, that's, you know, what Buddha believed was the root of suffering, is the belief that you exist, basically. Um, but before we get into all that, if you'd like to support the ongoing creation of this thing that I call the Infinite Spark of Being, and all that that entails, you can do that at theinfinitesparkofbeing.com, where you can find a link to a donation page. Uh, and if you click that link, you can donate monthly through Patreon for $1 or $5 a month. Kind of just helps me out here. Uh, or a one-time donation of just sheer loving kindness to, uh, to me on Venmo. The information is also on that link. Uh, there's also a link to purchase one of the two Infinite Spark of Being books if you'd like to support it that way. Or if you already have the books, you could also support this effort by purchasing t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, art prints. I believe the newest shirt I have on there is either the Born Free one or the one that says, Don't Sprinkle Shit Seeds on My Dream Field. Um, I think I'm going to do an episode on that, actually. Um I think I'm also going to do another version of that shirt. Anyhow, you can find all that through the shop link on the website. So here we are. You don't exist. Let's get started. If you have ever taken even a cursory glance at Buddhism, you probably heard the word emptiness getting used a lot, uh, or that everything is empty, something along those lines. And if you've had my experience in a Buddhist Sangha, some highfalutin intellectual, probably 30 years older than you, told you that you'll never understand emptiness, so stay on your cushion, shut up, keep meditating, stop being so egoic that you could even try to understand this. You know who you are, Bruce. Well, um, I believe that we can understand it here and now, but we just won't ever really experience it because it's pretty unknowable due to the fact that there's this body involved with a mind and a nervous system and all that. Um, even when we experience a loss of body sensation or bodily awareness during meditation or breath work or whatever, there's still the subconscious mind that is still categorizing the experience. Um, and I realize that some of you right now are recounting the mushroom trip where your ego dissolved and you were nothing and yada, yada, yada. But I assure you that there were still systems making a record of it, hence your ability to even recall it. Also, while we're on the subject, subject stop saying ego death. It makes people roll their eyes. It gives people a fucking headache. Your ego didn't die. Your default mode network may have shut down for a minute. But what this, this idea of us being obsessed with killing the ego, it's because you're giving the ego all of this clout that it, it's just a mechanism. It's not a big deal. Um, and don't forget, you know, that this idea that you lose the ego, you think the mind is the ego. The mind is the subtle body, and that's with the soul. And that's what's recording all of this, and don't forget that. So emptiness is really uh, the idea that the mind is giving everything meaning. 
right? Even when we see things that we've never seen before, the mind is saying, oh, this is like this other thing, and therefore it is probably good or bad. Let's feel this way, right? And this need to understand emptiness or achieve emptiness or even enlightenment for that matter is a very Western egoic mind desire. Not even Western, it's, it's just a mind desire. It stinks of this kind of, oh, once I get to here, it'll be better and I'll no longer have problems. Well, what's that sound like? It sounds like the second noble truth. The root of all suffering, dissatisfaction, pain is grasping and clinging, right? Once I do this or achieve this, all the pain will stop. All of the dissatisfaction will stop. I will feel better or the worst one of all. Once I achieve this, they'll finally like me. They'll finally want me. I'll be special, whatever the case is. So why do any of it? Well, because this is all there is. We either take the spiritual path or the materialist path or a mixture of both. It doesn't really matter. Um, you're a spiritual being and your work looks like whatever it looks like, you know? You'll always be on the path that you're supposed to be on. It's not a big deal. And that's why you can't really judge others. Um, even if their lowly materialist path crosses over your highly spiritual path and builds a fucking highway overpass over your little temple, here we are. That's, this is it. Uh, you know, layer one might look like, oh, I can't believe this shallow materialist did this. This is an outrage. Oh, well, they'll, they'll get it in the end when they die because I'll get the big fucking reward and they'll be punished. That's layer one. That's a very rudimentary understanding of, of spirituality. And layer two might be, um, you know, we're both souls and I have to love them through this. Uh, we have a karmic agreement to do this work together. But somewhere in the back of your new age brain, you have this kind of like, uh, you have so much self-righteousness that you believe that you should actually quote unquote win this exchange. But it's cool. But uh, yeah. They're really making it hard for me right now. So I'm going to just go, go over here and meditate and put my foot behind my head and pray till I feel better about it. Oh my God, why don't I feel better about it? This shit doesn't even work. And then you go right back out to doing whatever you were doing before you got hooked on the spiritual trip. Uh, or layer three, there's a third layer uh, that you're both of them. You're both people. Literally, there's nothing to do. The ego hates that. So we do spiritual practices. Uh, and the best part of all of this is that we cycle through all three of these. I do it all the time. But what I've found is that nowadays I eventually land on layer three, which is me shrugging my shoulders and going for a run or lifting things or fucking going for a ruck or a walk or whoever. Or fuck, it might be me playing that weird little Tetrisy shape game on my couch on my phone while Seinfeld plays in the background. It might even be that. I don't fucking know. Um, but that's the Leela, right? Krishna's Leela. We play these roles and these various acts of this kind of strange play that we're in. So back to the fact that you don't exist. Now, this existence thing is really only an issue when we need others to be on board with our existence or who we think we are, the operative word being think, who we think we are, right? When Buddha talked about anatta uh, or non-self, 
I don't think he meant for it to be this big fucking deal. And since Buddha and I are tight bros from way back when, uh, since we're so close, I feel really comfortable just speaking for Buddha. So I'll just continue. But um, it's the idea that you, the you that you think you are, doesn't exist. And this is a problem for us, especially nowadays, that everyone seems really concerned with identity and how others see them. And it seems like it's not enough for others to just go, okay, whatever you want. It's like some folks, they insist that you feel it as deeply as them. And no, I'm not referring to pronouns, but you know, we can throw that in there too while we're on the subject. I'm referring to all the other shit. It's this insistence that you comply with their reality, that you comply with the way they see the world, right? You can look at your fucking boss at work. I don't care. Parents, look at yourselves, right? Uh, science, masks, vaccines, Republican, Democrat, guns, hunting, uh, where to put the new fucking sidewalk in your neighborhood. Christ, you know, look at the back of some of these cars. It's like, here are all of my interests. This is who I am. Oh, and by the way, half of these are here just to piss you off, you bedwetting liberal pussy or you knuckle-dragging right-wing whatever. You know, well, you know, I just... It, then it's like this, well, you know, I just want others to know that, you know, they aren't alone. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you're doing all of these these decals and stickers for the benefit of everybody else, and you're definitely not... I feel like I'm ranting. Probably ranting a little bit. My um, my buddy Keith, that's probably listening to this, he has a lot of vegan stickers on the back of his car. <laughs> I love you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm talking about everybody but you, Keith. It's it's not. <laughs> but if I take you, you know, whoever you are, and I stand you on the side of the street, right? And I've mentioned this before, a hundred cars go by and each one has a different identity for you, right? Um, some of the identities might be similar. Some might be off. Some might even be close to the one that you have for yourself. Hell, your friend group is simply a group of, a group of people that have an identity for you that's closest to the identity that you have for yourself, right? Right. It's that old Ramdas uh, thing. Uh, I'll pretend you are who you think you are if you pretend I am who I think I am. You know, um, it, it's funny when I had a really long beard, uh, and people always had. I remember being in a group one time, and somebody goes, "I'll bet you listen to Alex Jones," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> it was really funny because I couldn't. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so who you are is a relative concept. Uh, it, it exists relatively. It only works in certain situations. Um, you, you know, you might, you might be the boss at work, right? But you're not the boss when you go to the grocery store. You might be mom or dad at home, but when you're at work, you're not. You might have five or six people above you in the hierarchy of wherever you're working. Um, and all of these are fine. It, it's part of the nature of the human birth, but the attachment to these roles is what creates the problem, the suffering. And it creates that suffering because of the mind's attachment to them. Um, these roles change over time. Some even go away completely. But if the mind is clinging to it or whatever the reason is, it, 
it creates a lot of confusion and then the discomfort, uh, it creates discomfort at the very least, right? Um, I can remember working as a banquet waiter and we had two school teachers that worked with us. Uh, when they were in their classrooms, they were in charge and they were used to being the authority, being the person that knows. Well, that role was hard for them to shake when they got to work in the evening. You know, they would learn very often and painfully that they were not the ones that knew. This other person is now filling that role. This other person knows. This other person is now in charge. Um, a lot of our clients at work are military and first responders, and we have to work hard with them to get them to let go of their role a little bit, um, whether it's because they retired, got let go, or got injured, disabled, whatever it is. Um, for a lot of these men and women, a lot of you that are listening, it's a death that needs to be mourned, right? Who they were no longer exists and it's difficult. So it becomes a matter of separating their character, right, from the uniforms and the things that came along with that role. Uh, they have to learn that the beauty and honor of who they see themselves as is not something that can be touched and held. It has nothing to do with the uniform. It has to be experienced, and it is experienced. Um, I realized that you know, some try to maintain things and keep certain things alive. But the folks that I see that really excel are the ones that understand the idea of role and how when this play is over, there is a new role that needs to be performed, right? Some of you I know are dealing with that right now. Um, the role is different. Your role in that person's life is the story arc has moved. There's someone else in that role, and that's very difficult. We move through these roles a lot during a birth, during a cycle of human life. Um, I've dealt a lot this past year with not being a son anymore, right? There's, there's no one that needs me. My parents passed away, and here I am. I was a son. I took care of my duties as a son, and now my life is different. It's been interesting. Uh... There is something about the death of the elders that affects the psyche, and some of you feel that. But um, all of these things I'm talking about here can't be shown without the use of the mind, which uh, inevitably dilutes them. We can, we can use language, you know, a cognitive faculty of the mind, to express some of who we are or who we think we are, but, but now that has to go through the cognitive faculties of the other person that we're explaining it to. And who knows how that gets received, much less groups of people, groups of minds that are comparing and contrasting the you that you're presenting against others that their mind finds similar to the data that you're giving them, right? It's a mess. Um, this is why becoming attached to the perceptions of others is going to be difficult to deal with, whether it's good or bad. If you believe that you're X and they believe that you're Y and you're attached to your X-ness, then you're going to have a problem, right? You want them to love you, but they just don't. 
or they don't love you the way you want them to love you, and you're attached to your desire to be loved by them. Again, we have a big problem, don't we? Um, And this takes us back to meditation, working with the grasping and clinging of the mind, learning to watch as it grasps at things. It doesn't matter why it grasps certain things, just notice that it does. And when you notice it, return to the breath, right? They don't recognize your authority, go back to the breath. He doesn't love you, go back to the breath. See the mind grasp, see it try to cling and return to the breath. It wants authority, it wants love, back to the breath and sink down into the body. Breathe slow and watch, then respond appropriately or as appropriately as you can. And why do we do that? We do that because we don't exist. You are a concept. Who you believe you are is a concept. Who others believe you are is a concept. Who others tell you, who others tell others who you are is also a concept. You are nothing. You are empty. And this nothingness, this emptiness, the you, the concept you that is empty, gives you a lot of space to work with. It gives you a lot of freedom. It allows you to sink into a new role with each moment, right? What are you if you don't have to be anybody, right? This sort of thinking, this shifting of our consciousness opens up new planes of reality. Experiencing these different planes of reality doesn't mean that we have to go anywhere doesn't mean that we take a substance and visit a far-off land and talk to a leopard. What it means is that we see the subjective nature of perception, of reality. We see its looseness, right? Reality is subjective, and we all have our own reality. Various ways of looking at the world. Various ways of looking at ourselves. Those are planes of consciousness, Those are planes of reality. That's it. And we visit those planes because we're not attached to any one idea, any one concept, any one belief of who we are. We've let go completely. So uh, that's it for now. (laughs) I hope this was helpful. I hope that you found it beneficial. Um, As usual, if you have questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to reach out. I'll always respond. You all know that. And as I mentioned before, please, if you'd like to support this ongoing effort that I'm calling the infinite spark of being uh, in all of its facets, please do that at the infinite spark of being.com uh, where there's a link to Patreon, uh, to a donation page, whatever. Uh, you could purchase merch, books, whatever. And as usual, don't forget, you can always reach out and talk to me. We can exchange numbers. Some of you know that we've become friends. We're old friends. We've known each other forever. Don't be weird about it. Bye. Bye.